Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, how are you enjoying this very relaxing bye week? Uh, it is relaxing. I think that's a great word for it. And, you know, there's no nerves, no problems, no stress about an opponent or any game going on this weekend. Even my secondary team, will call them the Cardinals played on a Thursday night. So this is a weekend of relaxation and enjoying myself. And then I, I don't even know how much football I'm going to be watching or, you know, I, I don't know how much I really watched just because I just didn't care. I should say like, it just, I don't know. It's I wanted to relax for once, I guess, is the way I wanted to put it. I wanted to not stress out about anything, even betting very low, not really doing much. This is an off week for myself as a fan, as well as the team, the Buffalo Bills, and I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, this is one of those weekends where my wife was suggesting, hey, can we take the kids out and maybe go apple picking? The weather's actually really nice here in the Midwest. And so, you know, I didn't watch as much football as I normally do. You know, obviously the Sunday NFL games, I kept an, I'm going to keep an eye on the Dolphins and Jets and all that stuff. But for the most part, it was like, hey, I dedicate a lot of my weekends to Bill's football and, and that's a big part of it. So it's it's hard to say like, hey, I still have to sit there and watch it for 12 hours during the bye week. But we obviously still big Bills fans have our finger on the pulse of everything going on in the NFL. Luca, before we get going, though, one last thank you to our friend Peter DiBiase, a built-in Buffalo Network podcast host of the Buffalo Blitz. You can hear it live on uh, Buffalo Blitz YouTube, Facebook Live. Um, I believe they're also on Twitter, uh, Twitter Live. He had us on his show last weekend. It was a lot of fun. We got to talk about the Kansas City game and, and some big picture stuff moving forward. And I know I don't want to speak for you, but that was an opportunity we really appreciated. One, 100%. I mean, I, I love saying 100%, but this one is probably 1000% more like it. It was, it was a good, it was a good time. It was a nice change of medium. I think you and I both enjoyed it. You said you did. I definitely did. Um, it was fun to kind of get a fresh face from our perspective to talk around a game and how we felt about things, how things look going forward, stuff like that. And then just doing it kind of on the fly more so where there is no editing or anything like that. It's there's everyone watching us. Hopefully everyone enjoyed it. I know we did. And just kind of, this is how we feel in live time. This is what we felt about that game after Let's see. It was a Wednesday, so that would be three, four days afterwards. This is where our heads were at after that game, and this is where we're thinking moving forward. Now we've had a few more days here, and we're going to sit down and talk a little bit more future look here, but I'll kick it back to you. Once again, Peter and Buffalo Blitz, thank you. It was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, we look forward to appearing on that show in the future if uh, Peter ever wants to invite us back. Yeah, always fun to talk ball. And I will just tell you all, like the plan for tonight is really to focus on big picture Bill stuff. We are not going to get into next week's opponent, the Green Bay Packers. We're, we might mention it a little bit more in like what the back half of the schedule looks like. Uh, it's going to be more of how the Bills are looking, what we've learned in the quote unquote first half of the season, even though it's really like a third of the season and things like that. So I highly recommend for all of your Green Bay Packers preview fixes needed. Peter will be covering that on his Buffalo Blitz episode coming up this Wednesday on the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network and on YouTube and Facebook Live, anywhere where your podcast can be heard. Uh, Luca, you and I will be having an announcement to make soon. We're not going to do it tonight, but we definitely want to encourage our listeners to stay tuned because we have some exciting news about our futures on this podcast network and what might be happening with us on this show and maybe another show going forward. So uh, 
Stay tuned, as they like to say. But let's get to the matter at hand, Luca. We have a bi-week roundtable, and we needed some help for this episode. You and I could obviously handle it, but a, a full roundtable needs at least a third voice. So we figured, why not go back to the third man? of the Bills Chat Podcast, a guy that you've heard on the season preview show. You heard him a couple times during the offseason. He's obviously a close friend of ours. He is somebody that has lived in that Bills Chat on Discord with us for years before we started recording. Stokes is with us for this episode. Stokes, how you doing tonight? I'm feeling feeling really, really good. Um, uh, Luca hit the nail on the head when he said re- relaxed. Um, this week has been um, the, the stress is is off off of our backs for as fans as much as stress as we can have um just after the the first little bit of the season that's has come across so it's great and it really has been a stressful start to the season when you look at the games the bills have gone through you talk about opening up on banner night against the super bowl champions playing lamar jackson in his building um opening up your own building on monday night football against the defending one seed of the afc the titans playing the Chiefs in Arrowhead, and then obviously playing the Miami Dolphins in a game that felt like their Super Bowl. And to come through that stretch with all the injuries the Bills had with a 5-1 and record is just ultra impressive. We're going to talk about that tonight, but we do have a little bit of news to get into before we get rolling with some Bills stuff. One guy who was on the Bills radar was Christian McCaffrey. That was a name that a lot of people had brought up as an ideal trade piece. You saw the Carolina Panthers fire their head coach, Matt Rule, and that sent off alarms that maybe the Carolina Panthers might be in a full fire sale. And then you start connecting the dots with Christian McCaffrey's salary and the position he plays running back, but also pass catcher, the Brandon Bean connection. Brandon Bean was there when the Panthers drafted him. It was an easy dot to connect. But we found out late last week, actually during the Thursday night game that Luca was talking about the Cardinals and the Saints, that Christian McCaffrey is getting traded, not to the Bills. He's going to the San Francisco 49ers. And Luca, I know you and I have had a chance to talk about this several times. Looking at the price the 49ers paid, which was a second round pick, a third round pick, and a fourth round pick in this upcoming draft, plus a fifth round pick in 2024. I thought that price was a little bit too rich. John Roro of the Associated Press has reported that the Bills did offer a second round pick, but were not willing to go above that. I personally applaud Brandon Bean. I would love to see Christian McCaffrey in this offense, but I think smart team building is understanding value. You have to draw the line. And if another team outbids you, Luca, it just is what it is. The line being drew at just a second is even, I mean, it's, it's ever so slightly more, but that's pretty much just over the line of where I was even at with what I valued bringing in a McCaffrey into the bills. So the price that the Niners went out and paid and basically did a, you know, division counterpart Rams move of F them picks and just said, we're going to throw this at McCaffrey. And I heard a point uh, later in the week that was now the Niners have a running back that can be receiver, a receiver that can be a running back, and a fullback that can be a tight end. What else more could you want in a Shanahan offense? It makes a lot of sense, but still, that's a lot of picks and a lot of capital to give up for McCaffrey where are they going to have him after this year? I don't know what their cap situation is off the top of my head. I haven't really looked into it just because they're not a team I would ever really want to look into. I don't like the Niners personally. Um, but 
it makes sense on the football field and as a team that is trying to get to the Super Bowl. They obviously have title aspirations this season, and they think this could be the move for them that gets them over the top. The Bills could have also felt that way if they brought him in, but even a second-round pick, just standalone, might have been a bit too steep. Uh, I believe it was you through our podcast Twitter account that even threw it out to other people mentioning that I kind of stood on the third round this year and then a day three that was conditional on certain things. And if those metrics were hit, it could turn into an additional day two pick, whether that was a you know third or maybe even a second. I don't know. Future picks to me, I'm always kind of like, I don't know even know how to value them myself. I really struggle with that. You can look at one draft, two drafts down. I have no idea how you look at it. So conditions wise, that would be where I'd really draw the line. But that's it, man. That's the Niners are really all in here. That's that's a lot, especially with they don't have a first because your first round pick essentially is Trey Lance still, and he's out right now. You're going to be going back to him, hopefully, as long as everything happens well with his recovery process next season. But where is that going to leave you now that you're going to have? I believe McCaffrey's cap it is a nineteen million dollar cap it next season if he's still on that team. I don't know what else you're going to be able to do to improve that roster once. I mean, Jimmy G is going to be gone, of course. So you free up a little bit there, but you're not going to be able to bring anything in on top of that. So you're just going to be stuck with this team. And if they don't get you to that title, where is that going to bring you bringing it back to the bills? We didn't jeopardize anything here. So we can, even if we win it all this season, we still have all of those assets in our pocket to continuously improve going forward as well without jeopardizing that future on one single player, even as talented as Christian McCaffrey. A lot to pay for an individual like that. I guess it makes sense for the Niners. I'm I'm mutely, I don't even know how to say this. I'm happy that the Bills didn't end up kind of going beyond to really make something happen for McCaffrey after seeing that price. But, I mean, McCaffrey would have been a lot of fun on this team. Don't get me wrong. If you take away the cost of it all and all the other things that come with the game of football and just him as a player, it made a lot of sense and would have been a lot of fun for this offense. But overall, I'm happy they didn't really jeopardize anything with the future just because they understand what we have in the locker room and feel very good about it moving forward. The Niners are certainly a team that is a Super Bowl contender, and this was a move, obviously, like Luca mentioned, to try to push them over the top. So if the Niners end up getting what they expect, which is the missing link to their Super Bowl aspirations, and they go on to win the Super Bowl, there's going to be a lot of questions from Bill's Mafia on why did the Bills not meet that price. Stokes, where do you fall on this? Because I feel like there's a school of thought like, hey, this could be the Bills' year. This might be the best team they ever have. Josh Allen's contract is manageable right now. Let's push all the chips in, kind of like the Rams F them pits, picks, F them picks. But are, there's the other school of thought of you, you don't need to be reckless with your picks. Drafting well is a way to extend your window, and Brandon Bean has been as good as anybody in this league at hitting on day two and day three picks that contribute to their roster. So I know we're all disappointed that Christian McCaffrey isn't a Buffalo Bill, but where do you stand on the Bills drawing the line in the sand and, and protecting some of those picks that some people think the Bills should be more willing to part with? I feel um, I feel like while McCaffrey is extremely dynamic and he is a fantastic running back, can never take that away from him. I feel like adding him to the offense would do a whole lot for the offense, but 
I don't know whether that's going to allow for the offense to completely mesh. It's going to take an entire change of the way they're doing things. And um, I understand the thought process of wanting to take more off of Josh's arms and legs. But at the same time, we have to consider how how much of the offense would change. Like we don't have um, a back like that. I mean, James Cook is supposed to be a, a similar kind of back, but he's not the same as Christian McCaffrey. There's one. There's only one of those guys. Um, so I feel like it would, while the talent level would rise, I think that there'd be a lot of stress put on um, Dorsey and Josh to try and find ways to fit Christian McCaffrey into the offense is already really, really, really good. So I feel like um, in that sense, um, had had we created for him, I would have been really, really happy. But if, if the cost would have been two, three, four, and five, I would have, I would have been a, a, a little, had a little bit of pause because of we don't know how long it's going to take for the offense to fit all of those pieces together. I think I would have been okay living with the two that it sounds like Brandon Bean was willing to spend. That was a little bit rich, even for, for my tastes. Um, but you figure like the bills are probably going to be picking pretty late in the second round, hopefully the last pick of the second round. And obviously if you get over the hump and win the super bowl, almost anything you do along the way is forgiven. But guys, what we do know, according to the associated press is Brandon Bean offered that second round pick, which tells me that either one, they view running back as still a position they'd like to upgrade, or maybe it's just more of a sign that Christian McCaffrey is that special of a player that they just saw a chance to really upgrade with adding him to the mix. So Luke, I'll start with you. Knowing that Brandon Bean was in the bidding war for Christian McCaffrey and did was willing to part with a valuable asset like a second round pick, does that make you think that he is going to be aggressive at this trade deadline or are we starting to run out of ideas? Maybe let's just maybe focus on running back there that maybe, you know, that was the last good idea at running back. I don't think that's the last idea at all. I think this is Brandon Bean and this is not new either. I don't think that let me even start there. I don't think this is the first time all of a sudden Brandon Bean has kind of had this philosophy and mindset with what, how he wants to attack this. He's going to, you know, kind of, Look on, you know, look behind each door. He's going to see what's out there and available. I believe even in the preseason, he basically alluded to that. He does his due diligence. You know, when players are upset at their current team, he calls and just says, hey, what's up? I don't know if he called about a guy like Robbie Anderson for (laughs) let's put it that way, because I think the writings on the wall with Robbie that he might not be the kind of guy the Bills want to bring into their locker room. But he may have still even called and just said, hey, what? at least talk to people he trusts and is like, what is this guy like? Also is, are you guys trying to move him? Because maybe Brandon Bean views him as a weapon to bring in here. Obviously that didn't happen. I don't think was even part of the discussion. I just think Brandon Bean's the type of guy that he notices everything around the league. He sees what's going on and he is going to do his due diligence, looking behind every door and figure out what's going on. If someone's available, what's the cost and so on and so forth. It kind of goes into the Odell conversation, which I'm sure we're going to lead into at some point here. Things of that nature where it's, okay, if something can happen, how can it happen? What is it going to cost? What do we need to do? And then probably takes it from there. Looks at it if it's really realistic or not. When I'm sure this whole McCaffrey situation went down, Bean basically extended himself after maybe an initial offer and was like, look, we'll give you a second. We're probably I don't know if he openly would be like this. I don't know how he negotiates, but we're going to give you a second. This is kind of our last ditch effort. And if it just wasn't there for the Panthers, he's like, at least I tried. I 
you know, kind of gave it a try, shot my, how do I say this? Shot my shot, right? (laughs) You can't, you can't fault me for that, right? You can't fault Bean for that. He tried, he did what he could or tried to do what he could. It wasn't going to work and he wasn't going to jeopardize anything or kind of put his job on the line because I feel like if Bean were to dump something like that, that's an eye-opening move where it's like, oh, you're really putting a lot on the line here. He's done a lot that you can kind of get that backing. And I don't think one move would kill him at this point, but it's it would be uh, eyebrow raising for sure. I don't think this is the last time we're going to hear about Bean and this organization looking at options by the trade deadline or looking in the free agent market if something else were to come up or that individual that we always love to talk about lately potentially coming to Western New York to play for this team. Oh, yeah. And we'll get into Odell Beckham here in a second. Stokes, let's wrap this up, though, just from the running back lens, because Devin Singletary did average five yards a carry against the Chiefs after going seven yards a carry against the Steelers, although his run volume was pretty low. I am of the belief that, yes, the Bills would be willing to upgrade their running back position pretty much like any position. But I feel like Devin Singletary is at least a good enough back that it probably dries up the market a little bit. Like, I don't know what an Antonio Gibson does for this offense or trading for like a Melvin Gordon from Denver. Like, these are some good backs that have had some good years in the league, but are they really ready to come in and be better than Devin Singletary at this point? Or is it just a situation where you add somebody to the mix that's at least better than Zach Moss, who at least, judging by the fact that he was inactive last week, looks like he's starting to get phased out, which is something we've all been calling for. I don't necessarily think at this point the Bills have the appetite to add another back unless it's a super special back like a McCaffrey, like a Saquon Barkley, who feels probably off the table at this point that the Giants are five and one. Uh, Where do you stand on that? Is that a position you'd still be looking to upgrade or do you anticipate the Bills just push forward with Singletary Cook, knowing that they still have Duke Johnson on their practice squad if they have to break glass in case of emergency? I, I think that uh, that Bean will, will just stand pat unless another special uh, running back became available. I think that when you're in this position where you have a back that you're, you're comfortable giving the ball to, four and a half, five yards of carry every time, and, and we don't need a running back that, that needs 20 carries a game, and th- that's just not what this offense is built for. So I think unless, you, unless there's a special back that's available – I would expect them to um, not go and give up draft assets for for a running back. I think if you're talking about maybe other positions, um, sure. But I, I think at running back, unless you're going to get a guy like as you said, Saquon or uh, McCaffrey, I, don't, I I would expect them to just stand pat because they spent um, a, a draft capital for each of these running backs that we already have. So adding more and for a similar type of running back, I think that would probably be redundant in sunk costs. And part of the charm of this team is how they've all grown together. Josh Allen draft pick Dawson Knox draft pick Devin Singletary draft pick Gabe Davis draft pick Deion Dawkins draft pick like this team has grown together. And so, yes, Christian McCaffrey would be a significant upgrade over any running back on this roster. So at that point, you take the bait and you go for it. But, you know, Antonio Gibson, that might be splitting hairs. Who's the better player? They're different players, but who's actually the better player? Is it worth upsetting this chemistry that this team obviously has? So let's set running back aside, though, because obviously, like Lucas said, we know Brandon Bean is willing to make a move. In fact, we've heard rumblings the past few years that he tried to trade for Emmanuel Sanders midseason. He tried to trade for Stefan Diggs midseason in 2019. We know in 2020 he made calls on Von Miller. 
That's just what we know. That's what's gotten out. And probably Bean was comfortable letting that out because eventually those players did become Buffalo Bills. There's probably other conversations that happened that we have no idea about. So, Luca, when I look at this roster, I do not see a glaring weakness that just screams we have to add a piece here. Now, obviously, you can project ahead and say, well, if they have an injury or two at this position or, you know, if this player has a falls off after looking good the first six games, there could be an issue. But right now, I'm really struggling finding that one position that just screams Brandon Bean has to address this at the trade deadline. Is there one for you? Obviously, there's an Odell Beckham conversation signing him. If you, if you want to mix that in here, that's probably a perfect spot to do so. Um, is there a roster addition, we'll put it that way, that, that you really want to see Brandon being target here before the trade deadline hits? There's not one position I really look at. I'm with you. There's not one that I look at and go, yeah, this is something that's going to bite us in the end, right? This is going to be the thing that we regret not bulking up getting someone in here that might be a veteran presence, however you want to word it, that is a little bit more dependable at that position. I know there's people out there that, you know, you know, Odell aside that kind of talk about the safety position being a problem or that hide person that you need to bring in, maybe someone that can step up a little bit more than DeMar Hamlin. I'm not with those people per se. I think it would be, it's not something I wouldn't entertain. It's not something that I wouldn't just see what's out there and see if there's just another option. If say you have a game where Hamlin's just having an off day, just because that comes with inexperience and you just want to kind of put a more homebody, steady veteran presence back there because you think they're a little bit more reliable, deep or whatever the situation might be that you think Hamlin's struggling at. I'm okay with entertaining that. But I don't look at that as this is going to bite us in the end. I think Hamlin is doing a good enough job that it is you can depend on him overall, right? Season long, especially this is anything I talk about here is all about the end goal in January games that hopefully lead to February. Nothing that we need to do is about regular season. We can easily get what we need to get do done in the regular season with DeMar Hamlin. That is, I am so confident in saying that anything I bring up here is more so in the playoffs. If Hamlin's, you know, kind of coming out really sluggish, really slow, whatever it is. And you just maybe go, okay, let's give him a couple snaps off. And you don't necessarily want to go to Johnson or whoever else is there available. Maybe you have that veteran guy there like a Duran Harmon. Let me just drop that name to just kind of be like, Hey, we know you're better just over top. Just kind of sit there, do your job. Don't let anyone beat you. And you know, as a veteran, he's probably going to just, he's seen more things. He might be just able to steady the ship a little bit back there until Hamlin's ready to get back in there. If you want to do that, or you see the game out there, because I don't think you're going to see much fall off as well, obviously with a Duran Harmon there compared to Hamlin. It's just a name that I bring up. It's kind of someone I look at because he's on a one-year deal. It's not expensive. He's with the struggling Raiders right now. Like it kind of just kind of checks a bunch of boxes where it would make sense logistically. Um, and then he's someone that I feel like maybe they would like because he's always kind of been that steady Eddie uh, in pass coverage over the years. Um, but that's just like, that's just a guy that I'm throwing out there. I don't know who the bills would be looking at for that kind of position. I just see a lot of people and a lot of fans on Twitter when we interact that are kind of pointing at safety and I don't necessarily agree with it, but I could see something that maybe they entertain it. 
these are luxury things, I guess, is where I'll finish this. Anything we do here is luxury. Maybe they try to find offensive line. I just want to also put this out here. No one trades offensive line midseason. No one. You could be a dog crap team in the middle of the season. You're not trading offensive line. That's the most important. You want these guys in the building and to understand what's going on because those are pretty much your most important pieces in any team. Like you can't have just random street bodies coming in out the offensive line. You see what happens with struggling teams, probably because they're having injuries on that, you know, part of the field. And it's just a disaster. They they're no one's trading offensive line people. I just want to put that out there. If an offensive lineman gets traded at the deadline, I am shocked all the time. I don't understand why teams would even move an offensive lineman unless they just flat out don't want to play for that team. Obviously, there are other things that could come into play there. But that, uh, outside that, it's not going to happen. That would be a position maybe they call about. But I would don't get your hopes up, people. Um, safety. And then, yeah, just real quick. Odell signing. I don't understand why anyone wouldn't entertain that idea. If there's anyone out there that is just kind of questioning it, I don't understand why you don't have to give up any future assets. It such a trade or whatever. It's kind of a if we signed him. It's not going to be long term. It's clearly for him to just kind of do what he tried to do last year all over again and then cash in next year with someone else. And I am very okay with having an Odell sitting there ready to go among all the weapons we already have that people love in January when it's crunch time. If you want a big time catch in a big time moment, Odell is a proven commodity out there already. I mean, look at the Super Bowl before he tore his ACL. People believe he was going to be the Super Bowl MVP. He is a big time player in big moments and knows when to step up and just make things happen. He's elite people, elite. And if we can get him on a one year, just kind of, hey, come here and ring chase with us deal. I am one billion percent for it. And everyone I really feel like should be. If you have personal reasons that you don't want to be with it, so be it. I don't get you, but everyone should be on board for something like that. You cannot have enough weapons on any team. And then when you look at the way this team is built, I really feel like we've talked about this since really the offseason. One injury that could really set this team back is an injury to one of those boundary receivers. And they've experienced that. Gabe Davis has missed some time this year and they've been okay. uh, But you just see a big difference when there's a healthy Gabe Davis out there. Stokes, I want to circle back to Hamlin because I made the comment um, earlier this week on Peter DiBiase's show that the biggest Micah Hyde fan I know is Luca. You might be the biggest DeMar Hamlin fan going back to draft day when you texted me shortly after they took him that the Bills got a steal in him. You have to be absolutely thrilled with what you're seeing out of him. Yes, absolutely. I, I love I love watching him uh, anytime he's out there. It's like a like a proud papa, even though I have no relation to him. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's great that he's been um, on the team and, and kept grinding, and he's he's finally got an opportunity. Unfortunately, I mean, you never really want him to have this opportunity, but I'm glad that he's he's in there and, and just making the mistakes that you would make as a young as a young player. And I think next year. As he can, if he continues to progress, as as we're watching, like when Hyde comes back, it'll allow for the defense to do even more special things with all all three of them out there. If that's the case, I think one thing people need to keep in mind too, and I know it's going to maybe get a laugh out of some folks, is the Bills still have Xavier Rhodes under contract, and I know he came here and he got hurt right away, and it was kind of like, oh my god, what are we doing? But 
I don't think that value is completely gone just yet. I think there is a chance that Xavier Rhodes is important to this team before it's all said and done. And once he gets healthy again and he can start training at cornerback or maybe safety, if you think about cornerbacks at the end of their career, learn the system if we have another injury. Because to me, it's not about whether Hamlin or Poyer can handle it. But if something were to happen to Jordan Poyer, I would start to get really nervous again. And that's the scenario Luca talked about with Harmon. But you have Xavier Rhodes in your hip pocket. Maybe if you spend the rest of the season training him at cornerback because we have some really good depth, or training him at safety because we have some really good depth at cornerback, that's something to consider. All right, I want to spin forward to a wide receiver conversation here in a second. But first, Stokes, are there any other positions outside of running back or wide receiver that really stand out to you as positions that the Bills should be looking for at the trade deadline? Um, the, the the only position that that you know, that I really feel is, is the position that Luca mentioned that people don't trade because when you when you watch games you see just how frequently these offensive linemen get rolled up on and they have no way to protect themselves they don't know what's coming all of a sudden there's just someone landing on the back of their legs and and you see so frequently um, they have those high ankle sprains or or twists and things like that and you just can't prepare for it and you don't you don't really notice you have a bad offensive line until you notice you have a bad offensive line. Like you, you, you can see the starter and never talk about him, and then when the replacements out there, you're like, "Oh, okay, well that's why that's why that guy's on the bench all the time." So it's it, I if there's anything that we can try to do to to get some sort of depth, um, I mean it, it would be difficult, but I, I think that that that's where the Achilles' heel could be is if we can't protect Josh, then everything goes out the window. And it's important to know that it feels like the Bills have survived a lot of these injuries or even getting Trey White back. But one injury that did take place in the Kansas City game, Luca, was Spencer Brown was carted off and then seen in a walking boot after the game. David Questenberry does not appear to be too much of a drop off at right tackle, but Tommy Doyle is already lost for the season. If the Bills can somehow, some way find on somebody's roster a tackle with starting experience that a team is willing to offload, I don't know who that player would be because like you said, when you find those players, teams are not willing to trade them. And the other factor is offensive line is one of those gel positions where it's really hard to insert somebody mid season into a new scheme and be like, Hey, go block, go start for us. Uh, but I, to me, Luca, the, the Spencer Brown situation is a little concerning. I think the bills can survive just fine with David Questenberry, but they're out of mulligans at the tackle position. And that's a little bit uncomfortable sitting here only in week seven. Yeah. That swing tackle, as you brought up in Questenberry, now isn't your swing tackle for the foreseeable future due to that Spencer Brown injury. It's it's concerning. Stokes brought up a great point. The biggest asset on this team, obviously, is Josh Allen, and you want to protect that at all costs. If injuries start piling up, you get games like the Jacksonville game last season where it looks like a struggle, even though you have Josh Allen in this offense. It's a little different. It's a little better, and the defense is a little better, in our opinions. Even with that height injury, it just seems like they're so consistent. So hopefully that cataclysmic effort doesn't happen, but it can. It can happen if injuries pile up at the offensive line position. I just struggle so, so much to try to figure out where you even begin to find someone right now that you're like, okay, now we need to find a new swing tackle because what was our swing tackle is now our starting right tackle. It's it's a tough spot to be, but... This is why you already had Questenberry kind of like, hopefully it doesn't get worse from here. You, 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 there's only so many things you can do. 
another great point by Stokes. These guys can't protect themselves. They get rolled up on all the time. You just hope it's not too, too horrible. And it's going to happen probably by that point. Hopefully this Spencer Brown injury is not too severe that he can kind of get back and healthy when the games start mattering again. Um, but overall, it's it's a clear place where you love that depth. It's just where do you go for it? Like there's the only people you're going to get most likely are guys that are borderline came off the street and you just hope you found someone that was motivated enough to step up when called upon and just do their job appropriately. It's a tough it's a tough it's a tough hole to fill depth offensive line. It's a offensive line has just plummeted in the past five to ten years from where it was. And now we're kind of seeing that there are no more deep offensive lines, even great offensive line teams like the Eagles are one or two injuries away from being average, just absolutely bang on average. The, the Niners, a team we mentioned earlier, Trent Williams went down. Obviously Trent Williams is one of the greatest tackles of all time, but he goes down and that offense looks like a shell of itself. Those kinds of guys don't grow on trees. Of course, you know, Jason Kelsey, I'm going to point out for the Eagles, for instance, you're just an all timer there. When those guys go down, these offenses plummet. It happens even without those elite guys on every other team. When one or two guy fall, it's just the offense can't tick anymore. So that's why everyone just holds on to these guys. If they have someone that they trust and they're not going to move them mid season, barring anything happening off the field, that's the only thing. So kind of going to where Brandon Bean conversation is this is if Brandon Bean wants to address this, he needs to call all 31 other teams and be like, Hey, do you have a tackle that's upset with you? Do you have a tackle that's not happy with their current contract situation? What is going on with them? Can I throw you, you know, a day three pick for this dude like that? It's going to take a lot of work if you're really trying to attack that because you can't attack it as, Hey, do they just want to play on a better team? What's the situation? It's not going to be like that. Teams aren't going to give them up. There has to be something more there in order to grab someone via a trade or else you're signing someone off the street for that depth and you just live with it. Tricky spot to be in for sure. I think one thing we can all feel good about is Brandon Bean will turn over every leaf to try to improve this team. And if he feels like offensive line is a position that needs to be upgraded, he will do everything he can to do that. Let's talk about wide receiver. Luca already talked about Odell Beckham Jr., but one name I want to talk about is a guy on the roster, Khalil Shakir, because every time he has touched the ball this season or been forced into action, it seems like good things have happened outside of one punt return in Kansas City where he ran sideways for a while, but we won't get into that. And this, to me, it feels like low-hanging fruit a little bit, Stokes, to be like, oh, he needs to replace Isaiah McKenzie coming off of Isaiah McKenzie's worst game as a build. Isaiah McKenzie has been a reliable player for the Bills. Um, he's always had sure hands. He struggled in Kansas City. We all understand that, but I don't think that's the player that any of us think that Isaiah McKenzie is. But there is a larger conversation here that both Isaiah McKenzie and Gabe Davis were projected into larger roles this year with Gabe Davis replacing Emmanuel Sanders, Isaiah McKenzie replacing Cole Beasley, Gabe Davis, when healthy, has passed with flying colors. Isaiah McKenzie really, despite all the hype in the preseason, has not really had that huge moment yet. He had a great game against Miami, but even still left a little bit to be desired with the way the end of the game happened and just has not been that consistent playmaker in this offense that a lot of us expected, particularly with some of the wide receiver injuries this team has had. 
And then you have this young player, Shakir, every time he comes on the field, it's like, man, he's got a really fun combination of size and speed and open field agility. So my question to you, Stokes, is one, what do we do with Khalil Shakir? Is this a situation where we start to do with Shakir, what we were doing with Crowder, sort of rotate him with Davis and the slot? Is it a situation where you continue to keep him on the back burner because you know Josh Allen's comfortable with McKenzie and then Shakir can just continue to grow and learn and then he's there if you need him in a pinch? What would you do with the slot position and uh, Khalil Shakir? I think I would probably... um give him a lot more split reps um, with, with Isaiah McKenzie. I think that one thing that he could do to stand out and get more playing time is if he if he spent time with Gabe Davis and became a good blocker. Like One of the reasons that Gabe is on the field almost every single play is because he blocks and blocks well. So if Shakir just, just chills with Gabe and learns how to block well, he could, he could get um, dirty off the field because – he is, I mean, he's a, he's a diminutive guy, and if Shakir can use that size and become a good blocker, like, he, he can be a better asset for the team when, you know, the, the five times a game we run the ball. <laughs> Absolutely, and he did struggle in the blocking game. I believe it was the Tennessee game on Monday night where he missed the block in the open field. Am I remembering that right, where it got blown up in the backfield? Uh, but then, Luca, we came on the postgame show against Pittsburgh, and the first thing I said to you is, the trust that Josh Allen showed in Khalil Shakir to throw that jump ball in triple coverage. I'm never in a hurry to see him come off the field. I'm just so, super excited about his traits, about how polished he already looks as a pro. And, and I don't want this to come as a slight to Isaiah McKenzie, who I think has gone well above and beyond everything we could have expected in his Buffalo Bills career. But I love him in that gadget role. I love him as a weapon out of the slot, but there's a big part of me, Luca, that just wants to continue to see what Khalil Shakir can do. I, I want, I am ready to pull the trigger and just see more of Shakir at this point. We're in a point of the season now where, you know, it's nothing against McKenzie. He had an off game against Kansas City. I feel like we've beaten that dead horse a little bit too much because everyone's allowed to have an off day, but. I've seen an off day. We've seen him do that before. And now we have this new guy that really hasn't shown us too much outside that one punt return, which, hey, ended in a touchdown anyways. Who cares? Um, outside of little moments like that, though, that he's really stepped up and he's been reliable. You pointed out the time that he was thrown to in triple coverage. He has. Um, is it just the one touchdown against Pittsburgh? He still has getting to the end zone. It was still a nice touchdown. Allen has a little bit of trust in there. Let's see what we have, because you have something there in an unproven and unknown that I feel like the ceiling and the potential as even Stokes put out, if he can even block for the five to 10 times we run the ball, that isn't Josh Allen. Um, if he can block at all, I think he provides a lot more to the offense potentially than McKenzie. And then McKenzie can kind of go into that more gadget role and just kind of take his snaps when he can and step up in the situations on the fly if we need him moving forward. And maybe the play is to just see what you have in Shakir. And if Shakir becomes this uh, you know, gem earlier than expected that really can propel this offense with three legitimate – think of – this is kind of where my head's at with this, Josh, and I'll bounce this off of you because I, I threw this out. This is a crazy thought right now. A little bit of fandom in me from another team came out. But think of the 2008 Arizona Cardinals and think about what they had 
And it was a team that had three 1,000 receivers. Obviously, you can probably name the first two, Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden, but Stevie Breston was a massive part of that team. And it was kind of an unknown what we had in Stevie Breston, and he just exploded. He wasn't a rookie, but back in those days, I think that was either his second year or his third year. It was early on in his career where back in those days, you don't really play your rookie year. It wasn't really a thing. And then finally, after an offseason or two, whatever it was, he really took off and he was vital to that team to really have three dynamic, reliable receivers that propelled them to eventually Super Bowl 43. And we don't need to talk about that game. But Breston was massive, right? Shakir is an unknown where... I almost see a little bit and honestly better than Breston as a player, but I see that dependability potential there with big play possibilities that I think McKenzie's really good and it's not a knock on him. I just think there might be something there that I really want to test it. I want to see what's there. I personally am ready to be like Shakir needs to see regular game time from here on out. He needs to be the number three option to me until he proves that he might not be ready. And then you have a guy that you were already comfortable with going into the season with McKenzie right there. It could be in a little bit of a rotation. Sure. But I want to see Shakir get regular snaps on this offense and regular looks. I think there is enough in the flash that he has shown that he really could step up and become a legitimate option. And this does not change, by the way, my mindset on OBJ still sign him if you can. If that, if that ability is there, that ability is there and get him in this dressing room because he's not here for November when you want to see a Shakir step up and see if he really is something for not even just now the future. And then OBJ can also be yet another weapon. Just imagine being, five, yeah, what would that be? Yeah, five deep with Diggs, Davis, Shakir, McKenzie, and Odell. And you can trust all five of them. I'm going to still trust McKenzie, by the way. He has shown that you can trust him in the past. He just had an off day in Kansas City one more time. It's like you can still trust him to an extent. It's like five dependable, really good weapons would just be drool worthy when the games matter in January. Yeah, big Shakir guy over here, if you could not tell. One thing the Bills really wanted to do this offseason was improve their run after the catch. And that position that Shakir and McKenzie play is vital to that because you look at the coverage that Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis draw on the outside, the attention that Josh Allen gets as a dual threat quarterback. There's so many opportunities for that slot receiver to catch and run. McKenzie's obviously great in the open field, but there's something about Shakir's size and the strength and the physicality he runs with. Plus, he obviously has the open field elusiveness to be a punt returner. I'm just excited to see where that could go. Stokes, one other draft pick that I think we're going to see get more and more involved as the season goes on is rookie running back James, I almost said James Stokes, James Cook. Hey. Uh, it'd be amazing if it was James Stokes, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, James Cook. And one sign that he's going to get more involved is in the Kansas City game, Zach Moss was inactive, thus only two real ball carriers with Singletary and Cook. Cook getting you know, all the reps when Singletary wasn't on the field. I'm a huge fan of that. I want Singletary to be the guy. I think every time Zach Moss is on the field, it's a learning opportunity for James Cook that we are missing out on. And it, to me, it's not about where James Cook is in October. It's where can he be in January? And let's start growing him by giving him those running back two reps and seeing what kind of weapon he can be. How do you anticipate James Cook's role growing as we move forward in this season? 
So I feel like it's going to be a situation where they evolve uh, Devin Singletary's position because they they would usually go with Moss as trying to get some hard yards and things like that, and and that's that's not the type of player that James Cook is. So they're going to have to figure out how they're going to split those quote unquote hard yard runs. Um, and I think it'll probably be more likely to go to Devin Singletary. So then. Um, I would imagine that James Cook is going to get more of the opportunities um, when you're seeing more obvious passing situations because he he's a more dynamic player as far as like um, speed goes. So I would imagine, or I'm hoping rather, that they they go more towards like a 60-40 split over the next um, next few weeks as, as you can continue to see what James Cook can provide. Like he the the first. Six games of the season, uh, you only saw him flash one or two times. Well, maybe that's just him just getting out of his head potentially, and and you know trying to become something that he wanted to be too quickly. And um, I'm just hoping that as as time goes on, he 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 slows things down and he can continue to grow within this offense and within this role. Now that he doesn't have to really worry about Zach Moss. Luca, where do you stand on James Cook? He's a player we were both really excited about. We were really excited about some of the explosion he could add to this offense. He did have the touchdown run against Pittsburgh, which was a nice play, albeit in garbage time. But honestly, so far, at least through the first six games, the returns have been pretty small. We did anticipate his role might be small, um, but even when he's been on the field, there's been some drops. There was a fumble on his very first carry. Where are you at with James Cook? It was a promising sign that... In the Chiefs game, a big game and a big stage that they kind of showed with their inactives, as you brought up, Moss was inactive and it was just him and Singletary. So to me, that tells me in the dressing room, in the coach's office, there is still a lot of trust and promise in this individual to kind of step up and do whatever job they envisioned for him moving forward on this team, both this season and, you know, future projections. What I will say is, I expect the James Cook role to expand, but I feel like it's going to be kind of with an asterisk, right? I think they're going to just try to expand his role to get him more comfortable, just get him reps, get him snaps, however they do it. I think Stokes is spot on. I think Singletary's role is going to evolve, and he's going to be really dependent on those hard yards. And really, when you want to run downhill, he's going to be the guy. And Singletary can absolutely do that for this team. I think he does it even better than Moss when we wanted Moss to be that guy. So guess what, Moss? You're useless, as I love to say. So Singletary is going to be that guy. James Cook, I don't think, is going to get a ton of yards. I'm not expecting him to explode. If he does, that's awesome. But I'm expecting them to at least get him game reps, get him time. They will probably call his number specifically, whether it's in the screen game, option game, whatever it is. Maybe that McKenzie play turns into the James Cook play. I think you dropped that or maybe even it was Peter on our Buffalo Blitz live show earlier the uh, this past week um, that maybe that is the play that come January, if they want to run it, he would be the guy. I think they just want to make sure he's comfortable. He's really, he's up to speed. He, he can trust what's going on because that's really the role I do envision for him. And then they're going to finally try to unlock it if they need to in the playoffs, like come down the stretch and in the playoffs, if they need to win, I don't anticipate any must wins down the stretch of the regular season. I think we're sitting pretty good. Obviously we might have a talk about where we're going to feel with all that, but I don't want to spoil that. Um, I think 
James Cook is kind of a weapon that they want to make sure is comfortable because come January, if they need that kind of dynamic running back in more of a pass catching and or, you know, just be kind of outside speed, we'll call it edge speed at the halfback position. They want him to be comfortable when called upon. And that's what I think the key for this team is for him for the rest of the season. Make James Cook comfortable. Clearly, his first carry was a fumble, things like that. They haven't really been using him. And maybe that's just because they felt like he just isn't as comfortable in the NFL and up to speed with this speed. And it's not college anymore, kid. Like, welcome to the big time. Maybe they just felt, let's get to the bye week and then reassess it and go forward with James Cook and just give him the reps, give him the time. Make, I mean, Josh Allen being next to him, he should be as comfortable as can be. Josh seems like the kind of guy, especially understanding he's a rookie, if he makes a mistake from time to time, Josh isn't going to hammer him. He's not going to let other people hammer him. He's just going to be like, hey, next time, just, you know, think about something else, do something else, whatever it is, try this, whatever. I don't, Josh is not the kind of guy that's going to know how to talk to a running back to do his job, but he's just going to motivate him and try to, there's going to be an end goal to it, right? There's going to be something that's just like, we will maybe need you in playoffs time. Just get comfortable, relax. You are on this team. We like what you can provide this team. Just realize that and do you just be you. We know what your potential is We're, we could need you in January. Be ready for it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him and how, and how his role grows going forward. So we mentioned the Bills are on their bye week, and Luca likes to say this is a good time for self-scouting, and that isn't just for the team, but it's for us, and it can give us a chance to kind of take a step back. We all have our opinions on what this team was going to be coming into the season, but now we have six games under our belt, and there's been some things I'm sure we've learned along the way. So guys, I'm going to ask an open-ended question. You can take this any direction you want. It can be big picture, it can be small picture, it can be position group, it can be rookie base. Wherever you want to go with this is fine. Stokes, I will start with you. Six games into the 2022 Buffalo Bills, what is one thing that you've learned about this team that maybe you didn't necessarily think six weeks ago? Ooh, uh, well, I I wrote down three things, actually. Go so, for it. Um, so the first one, um, that the Bills are still hungry. Um, like you, you, you think that after last season, they, they may be lackadaisical and then they came out and still hungry. Um, second one that the close game persona is, is gone. Like it's something that we, we all knew as fans, but it's something that obviously it, it's, it's the elephant in the room and it's like, okay, last two wins, uh, or last two or the last three wins. Okay. We, we got that out of the way. And the last thing. Well, this defense is incredibly resilient. Like when you think about all the injuries that we've had to overcome as far as the team goes, and the defense um, hasn't hasn't gone gone to crap. Like we had a game where the entire secondary, the starting secondary, wasn't out there, and we were still fine. Like granted, you know, <laughs> they they rested a lot of guys against the Steelers, and we were still great. But um, it, the defense itself is still really resilient, and and it's like they can it can handle a loss just about anywhere and still be really really good. And um, that's that's probably the biggest thing is that the the defense is still really good despite whatever is thrown at them. Luca, I think this season has been an absolute masterpiece by Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott. The injuries they've dealt with, the teams they've faced. And I love Stokes' first point about how this team is hungry. And I think one thing that benefited that hunger was they really had no choice. They open up against the Super Bowl champions and they play the number one seed. They're in Baltimore playing Lamar. They're playing the Chiefs in Arrowhead. 
there really is no opportunity to have that game like you had last year, week one against Pittsburgh, because there's no opponent to take likely in the early stretch of the season. And this team came out focused. It'll be interesting, though, Luca, we talked about this last year. The Bills went to Arrowhead, won a big game against the Chiefs and then proceeded to lose five out of their next eight games that eventually gave back that home field advantage they had gained in Arrowhead that day and saw them going back on the road in the playoffs. We'll see how resilient this team is and if they have that hunger that Stokes talked about out of the bye to take advantage of that win they got in Arrowhead. All right, Lucas, same question for you. What have you learned about these 2022 Buffalo Bills? I have learned absolutely nothing new. And this might shock you. I, I'm not I'm not cop. This is exactly the team I expected this year. The record might not be what I predicted. I'm even like I have our old, you know, when we were did that episode where we did our predictions, Josh, and I thought we'd be sitting here at four and two. This is still the team as a unit that I expected to be here, though. And the proof is I didn't then expect this team to lose until week 18 when I don't think the Bills are going to need that game at all. And I just. This team going into the year, I think the season kickoff game is a prime example of why I'm exactly sitting here telling you I've learned nothing new. Season kickoff, you were a little nervous. Other people weren't sure what we were going to get. And I sat on this mic and told the world that I am so confident that this team is going to come into that game and whoop their ass that I put money, so much money on it that I won it all. And it just felt like a sit back and have a cigar moment. And that to me, Week one, I was like, this is the team I expect. I think Stokes' point on this is a hungry team. I actually will say I underestimated how hungry this team would be. They go out there and they try to end your season, even if it's a week three game or week four game, I should say, anything. They want to annihilate you. They, You can't always do that. It's the NFL. Like you're going to have close games, but even in those close games, in situations where they do it, they still have a killer mindset. They're at Arrowhead and they're like, F this, let's go win this game. And they make it happen. And you have guys like Von Miller who just bring it over the top and just digs can be on the sideline and be like, finish this because everyone knows why Von Miller's on this team. Everyone in that locker room knows why he's here. It's for that moment right there to close the game out and just get it over with. They are killers. This team is elite. They're, this is everything I expected from this team and some. I haven't learned anything new. They've just surprised me with sitting here at five and one instead of four and two. That's honestly the only thing I can tell you that's different. They just exceed expectations minimally to the point where it's it's so wonderful to be sitting here on the bye week and just still look at my season long predictions that we made in August and be like, yeah. We're going to rattle off a win against Green Bay, a win at the Jets, a win against the Vikings, a win against the Browns, a win at the Lions, and so on and so forth. That is probably going to happen in my mind. Look, it's the NFL. Anything can happen. I just want to preface that. It's probably not going to be 10 straight wins or whatever it is here that I'm counting. I would love for that. We would all love for that. Week 18 against the Patriots, and we're sitting there at a 15-1 and record. Just unbelievable time if we can get to that point. But this is the team I expected. This is where I wanted to be. Just we are a legitimate Super Bowl favorite at the bye week. And now we have a stretch of games where we can really put our foot on the throat of the league and show you got to come through Buffalo to make it happen. 
It's not about Arrowhead anymore. It's not about Mahomes. It's about Allen. It's about Western New York. And you're coming through chilly Buffalo, where it's probably going to be 45, 55 mile per hour gusts, snowy and miserable for anyone coming here to play and try to beat us on the way to the Super Bowl for themselves. It's man. I love this situation we're in right now. I love it. And the Bills have probably the only quarterback that can throw through those wins. And the things I've learned, and you know, somewhat similar to Luca, there's a lot of stuff that I would say that I not necessarily learned, but I needed confirmation of. Like, it's not that I learned Josh Allen could actually get better from what we had seen in 2020 and 2021. I just, at some point, you're like, how good can this guy get? And he is decisively better this year with his underneath game and the way he is taking the check downs and he's being more patient, the command he has on the offense. Speaking of the offense, I've learned that Ken Dorsey, this job is not too big for him. Now there's going to be an adjustment period. There's going to be a time where NFL defensive coordinators start to catch on to some of his trends and kind of like a baseball reference. Since those playoffs are going on now, we'll see how he does the second time through the batting order. Once they can pick up on some of his tendencies, but so far so good with Ken Dorsey Um, on the defensive side of things. I've learned that Von Miller is an absolute beast and has been worth every penny. But also I will say this, and I'm going to lump in Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson to this conversation. I have never been the biggest culture guy when it comes to sports. It's just been one of those things where I feel like it's kind of the low hanging fruit conversation where when a team is good, they say their culture is good. And it's kind of like, yeah, our goal is to build a winning culture, but You can just see the attitude and the confidence that Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson give this team. And then Von Miller just off the top rope with his wisdom, with his understanding of what championship football looks like, with his don't blink sayings and how this team buys into it. The Bills were a championship level team before Von Miller came in and they had established stars in this locker room. He is one of the few guys they could have brought in new to this mix that gets everybody's attention. I don't even think Chandler Jones checks that box. Chandler Jones has had a down season in, in Vegas. That's not the point. The point is Von Miller checks the box of elite player, also elite presence, and it's rubbed off on the team in a great way. Jordan Phillips, I mentioned him a little bit earlier, absolutely loves playing for the Bills. It shows. I hope he never leaves. It seems like he was homesick when he went to Arizona. In that same position, though, this is where I want to kick it back to you guys. One guy... I knew he was going to be good. I figured he was going to be an upgrade over Star Latulale. I think we even said in our offseason that Daquan Jones is going to be what we saw, we, we thought Star Latulale was going to be for the Bills. Guys, Daquan Jones is way better than I ever thought Star Latulale could ever be for the Bills. When you look at some of the graphs that get put out by PFF and ESPN, of like a, a, it's a line graph where on one side it's pass rush win weight, pass rush win rate that is easy for me to say and then on the other side is double team rate and you see daquan jones's name next to aaron donald and quentin williams this guy is playing at an absolutely unbelievable level the domino effect it has on the rest of the defensive line the gregory rousseau's the tim settles the jordan phillips even Ed Oliver, you see what's going on with Von Miller. You see what's going on with our linebackers. Edmonds and Milano are both by far having the best years of their career. I don't even think it's close. And then you factor in the injuries at that position this team has gone through. Tim Settle missed time. Jordan Phillips missed time. Ed Oliver missed time. He has been the only steady force at that defensive line spot. We knew he could be a good run stopper, but he's also pushing the pocket in the passing game. Stokes, I know you are somebody who appreciates watching football, not only 
who had who's making the plays with the ball in their hands, but you can also appreciate it from the inside out and the effect that a dominant interior player can have. Daquan Jones has been just an absolute gift to this defense. Absolutely. I think that one of the most important things that him, along with the rest of the defensive line, is doing is they're keeping the linebackers clean. So I, I one of the things I would um gripe about with uh with Tremaine and when Edmonds is was that you know, he'd make a bunch of tackles but they're all eight nine ten yards down the field so he's racking up tackle numbers but they're first down tackles so um what they're doing what Daquan Jones is doing right now is he's he's giving these guys the opportunity to be clean get into holes and in attack um offensive players and I'm, I it's it's really great to see how well that they're you know mixing up the snap counts so these guys can remain fresh throughout throughout the uh, game. So so when you when you look at these types of players and when you have the them fresh throughout the game, that's going to trickle trickle down towards the end of the season where we're in playoff time and these guys are still fresh, they're still raring to go. And I, and I think I'm just hopeful that he continues this dominance that he is performing for the team and allowing the rest of everyone else to flourish. Luca, it felt like the last few years, whenever the Bills would go up against a big time running game, they would have to dedicate extra resources to slowing that guy down. And I will just tell you, when they go against t- those teams now, like even against Tennessee, um, Kansas City had been running the ball pretty well. It's not even a thought in my head that they have to dedicate more than their front four, four to doing that. That is how good Daquan Jones and the defensive line have been. Yeah, there's every game we've gone into the Tennessee game, seeing it in person, you know, shout out. I was there. No big deal. Seeing shout that out, in Lucas. person, though, <laughs> um, it it was eye opening. I will tell you this. I Daquan Jones was very noticeable in person. Like he is just massive. He he is a big human being that somehow plays four times his size. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like you just he just completely obliterates the interior. And it's just it's all him like obviously you need a second guy in there to really help you maximize what you're trying to accomplish. And we have other great talent, as you've pointed out, on that interior defensive line. But it's so amazing that going into every game, my original point is I know they're just going front four at it like the front four are going to do their job. It's kind of the front four for the Bills defense has become what you expect from an offensive line. It's just a regular set of group that just, you know, you are at least they're going to be doing their job separately than ever, like skill positions. And everyone has all these different things they need to do. You're probably going to try to attack a team differently on the defensive side of the ball. You might try to do different schemes, different coverages, whatever it might be in the back, you know, from the linebacking core. And then also in the secondary, almost at backfield there, apologize in the secondary, but the defensive line, is just going out there and they're doing the job that you see them week in, week out. It's the same old thing. Might disguise their rushes, might do different things, stunts, all those different, you know, special things that might be dependent on, like we saw in that final game ceiling interception where you ask Von Miller to just cut inside so you can force someone out being Patrick Mahomes. But outside of that, they're just, it's the front four. They, it's rotates and it's different faces, but Daquan Jones. We had a discussion earlier this year, or we keep saying it, where Von Miller and Gregory Rousseau are really the two edge guys, right? Daquan Jones is single-handedly now probably the most important defense interior defensive lineman on this team. 
And it's crazy because going into the year, it was Ed Oliver, right? Ed Oliver was the guy that you really wanted to see just take a yet another step forward and really excel. And I don't think Ed Oliver has been having a bad year. I think he's been solid when available. He's been hurt, unfortunately, but when available, he's been decent. It's just Daquan Jones has provided such an unreal amount of effort and just skill at that position that I don't think anyone imagined. And it's seeing something there now. Imagine a Daquan Jones on this team two years ago in the AFC championship or last year when we were getting pounded by those teams, you know, Jonathan Taylor at home or what, you know, all the other games, Derrick Henry at Tennessee. If we had Daquan Jones, what you see this year would have been probably happening those other years. I don't, those resources would have been just everywhere. We need them to be let the front four do their thing. And it's, yeah, it's a testament to him. He has been, incredible and just Leslie Frazier looks at again looks at that defensive line like it's an offensive line these are the steady eddies they're going to do their job they know their job and now I'm going to just devise whatever else I need to do with the linebackers and secondary so that I can game plan for the Chiefs or the Packers or whoever specifically to really cause some problems for the opposition and the results show that it is working incredibly thank you Daquan Jones for just being leaps and bounds above what we expected when we signed you this past offseason. All right, guys, I am going to do something that neither one of you are expecting, but hey, that's kind of how I roll sometimes. We are going to play an impromptu game, and it is called, let's look around the AFC, and let's rank the teams who fear us, make us scared from most to least. We're not going to rank the entire conference. I don't think we need to bring up the Texans in this conversation, but with the, we just saw the Bills beat the Chiefs. We saw the Bills beat the Baltimore Ravens. And I'm just curious if we as a group can collectively agree on maybe ranking the top five teams. And when I say scare us, like I think we all agree. We feel like the Bills are are going to beat whoever they play. That's where our confidence is at with this game. But there's always the NFL factor. There's respecting your opponent. Who would you least like to see in a playoff setting? So I'm just going to throw out a team. Like I still think, I don't know if you guys want to object to this, and I, I'm sure you guys may be rolling your eyes playing this game, but I still think the fear factor, Mahomes, those Jordan-like qualities he has, and Andy Reid with all the experience, to me, the Chiefs are still number one in the fear factor in the AFC. Are there any objections to ranking them number one? None for Not me. for me. Okay. I think this is where it gets interesting. Number two. I think before the season started, there was a lot of conversation about the LA Chargers. I think if they get healthy, there is a chance they could be scary. I look at Baltimore and to me, a lot of the same things I say about Kansas city, where it's just the fact that they have that guy at quarterback who you feel like can take over a game. Another team that's really dealing with some injury issues. They have lost some really, I don't want to say fluky games, but games they had control of, including the bills game. Um, they, they lost a similar game to Miami. They lost a similar game to the giants where all three of those games, it felt like that team was going to walk out of that game with a win. And they found a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory and so I, right now, I think I'm prepared to put the Ravens second as far as teams I would least prefer to see the Bills have to go through in January. I will kick it to you guys. Luca, where do you, how do you feel about the Ravens being the second team? So the Ravens are my first team. Okay. I, I don't object with you putting the Chiefs first. I understand it, but I put the Ravens at par with them. They're just different. The Chiefs kind of we all know exactly what they're going to do in the 
ability of where they're going to kill you kind of deal. You mentioned it, Mahomes, and just the Andy Reid system, right? They're they're going to beat you that way, and then their defense is just going to sit back and hopefully bend, don't break. But the Ravens and Lamar, it's just terrifying looking at Lamar Jackson, looking at eight on the other side, and just realizing that at any moment in time, if one guy, Von Miller, just pushes up the field just a little bit too much and that lane's there and whatever play they called just moved our coverage in a specific way, Lamar could crack you for 75 yards. It's done. It's over. Lamar can be that guy. We've seen it in the past. He has won a league MVP because of this. That elite attribute is there. The formula is also in place where you just make Lamar pass against you and just just absolutely commit to not letting him get outside the pocket or through a you know any sort of lane because you over pursued. We've seen it in the playoffs also, but look, it's terrifying. Like it's absolutely terrifying. The Ravens are terrifying. I don't want to hear that you know the Chargers if they get healthy are good and stuff. And I'm not making this about you, but like other people just want to disrespect the Ravens. I feel like the Raven, as long as Lamar is fully healthy, as long as the Ravens are the Ravens and they're coached by Harbaugh, they scare the shit out of me. Like just plain and simple. They are at the same level as the chiefs. I don't understand how people can look at the Ravens and a Lamar and Harbaugh team and just be like, ah, they're a full step behind the bills and the chiefs. Like, that might be the case, but don't underestimate their ceiling, I guess, is the way to put it. And by ceiling, I mean their potential. Do not underestimate it any given day. Like they probably should have beaten the Bills like that should have happened. As you mentioned, fluky might be a little bit of a word I don't want to use, but it, I lack the ability to come up with something better. So it kind of was like the Bills muscled their way back and got in and got that win. But losing to the Dolphins when they had a firm grip of that game and then losing to the Bills in the man, you wouldn't expect a Harbaugh team to go into a playoff game and lose a game in such a similar manner. It just I can't picture that happening. They're too Harbaugh has his teams too mentally tough to lose a game like that in the playoffs. I get what you're saying, and I I understand what you're saying about maybe fearing the Ravens even more than the Chiefs because if you look at it like styles make fights, a lot of what the Chiefs do is similar to what the Bills do, and without Tyreek Hill and without the defense that the Bills bring to the table, it could be a situation, and this is going to sound really disrespectful to the team that has ended the Bills season two years in a row, but it could be a situation where as a Bills fan, you're kind of thinking of the Chiefs in a way of like anything you can do, we can do better where the Ravens are so unique in the way they play. Lamar Jackson is so unique in the way he can beat you both as a runner and a passer that it really makes you leave your fundamentals as your defense to have a specific game plan for him. Stokes, are you comfortable putting the Ravens at three or do you want to make the case for somebody else? Um, so I am more in line with Luca. Uh, so when you, when you think about uh, the, 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 what the potential matchup would be, that this is going to be the, the playoffs team going into Buffalo to play a playoff game. So I feel like the Ravens, um, game plan is weather proof. So what, what they can do, they can run the ball and, they can wear you down, and as as Luca mentioned, you they everyone has to be assignment sound on every single play. So you can't not one person can do the wrong thing whenever Lamar has to make a decision. And when when they put you in the read option position, the defender is making the wrong decision no matter what, as long as Lamar does the correct thing. So 
so when you have all of that, so you you take that offense uh, that's um, matchup proof for as far as weather goes, and then you think about their defense. They have they have a lockdown corner in Marlon Humphrey. So if if he's good, then that. I mean, he's not going to shut down Stefan Diggs by any means, but he's going to make it really difficult for him. If Marcus Peters is available, then he's another corner that makes um, things tough for quarterbacks because he he likes to try and get the ball. And when you look at the way their defense is set up, they have a guy in the middle, Calais Campbell, who can defend the run fairly well. And so, and they have good pass rushers. So they have they have a lot of things that you would think would go, give the Bills problems in a in a playoff scenario. And I think that that is what um, worries me most because they if you if you were going to try and build a team that's going to come into Buffalo and deal with the weather and beat them, the the Ravens look very similar to what I would think um, would would make that happen. Yeah, I, it's it's not a hard case to make. I think Lamar Jackson is that special, and the team is that unique. So I think we're aligned on the on the top two teams. You know, the order can be debated. I, I'm with you guys. I think the Ravens would make me just as nervous leading up to that game as the Chiefs, particularly if that game is in Buffalo. I want no part of going back to Arrowhead. Like the Chiefs in Arrowhead is my biggest fear factor. Agreed. Would not be at would not be as nervous going to Baltimore. But this is, I guess, of the assumption that the playoffs come through Buffalo. I think it gets interesting, though, when you look at that third team. The Chargers keep sticking out in my brain, but the one thing I can't get past is they already lost Rashawn Slater, their, their elite left tackle, young player. And I just I almost want to rule out any team coming into Buffalo dominating the Bills if they have offensive line issues, assuming the Bills are full health because the way they can rotate such high-end talent with Von Miller taking advantage of matchups, and they don't have a really good right tackle either. So a team down two, deep, two good tackles, um, you know, we haven't seen them with Keenan Allen. Joey Bose has been hurt. He's supposed to come back at some point in time. But the Chargers, to me, kind of feel like one of those teams that they might need another coaching change before they finally realize their potential. Are we at a point, Luca or Stokes, where it's time to consider another AFC East team? Or is there another team that stands out to you? Because I will tell you, I have one team that currently has a losing record that is my third team, but I want to see what you guys think first. I don't want this to all be Josh's ideas. Go ahead, Luca. Uh, yeah, watch out for those Las Vegas Raiders, man. Don't let them get hot. No, um, <laughs> uh, it's tough. Once you get past Baltimore, it's really, really tough for me to find a team, even in the playoffs, that I don't consider the Bills at least, uh, let's call it six and a half point favorite on. Even if it's the Ravens and Chiefs coming to Buffalo, I'm pretty sure it's at least over a field goal. So with that in mind, I personally don't have it being an AFC East team. I will say my third team is the Cincinnati Bengals. I feel like the Bengals are at this point right now where, yes, they started 0-2, right? It didn't look pretty. Things weren't working. Their offensive line looked even worse somehow than it did in the playoffs, of which in the final three playoff games, they allowed over 20 sacks combined. Not a good time. But... They're kind of clicking now and things are starting to happen. And that burrow to chase connection is really starting to, you know, flourish once again. And they're a team that's already done a run, right? They made the run to the Super Bowl last year. They even went into Arrowhead and beat Kansas City on the first try that the Bills couldn't even do in the AFC championship game. They have that pedigree 
And now they're starting to click. And it's all about when you get hot. The good news for the Bills is we get to play them and kind of have a little showcase that week 17 at Cincinnati Monday night finale situation. So it'll kind of be a really nice measuring stick with a team of that nature, especially if they're kind of hot and we're hot and it's it becomes that game that some people might believe to be something that has serious playoff seeding implications. Not us because at or at least me, because at that point I'm pretty sure the Bills would have locked up the one seed. But if this is my world. But I will say the Bengals are the number three team. I just think they have this mind. They're, they're mentally tough, which is an interesting situation, especially being a Cincinnati team. But they have the history to show they know how to get deep in the playoffs. They have this kind of mental tough attitude that even an 0-2 start that looked like everything was wrong and the media was kind of jumping on them. They really picked it up and just kind of got to work. They rattled off all these wins all of a sudden. And now they're humming there where it's like, yes, they might sit where they currently do in the standings. But they're still the Cincinnati Bengals that went to the Super Bowl last year. And if that offense is going, they have the weapons and everything to really threaten anyone in the league, let alone the Bills. I don't know what to make of the Bengals, Luca. And I understand everything you're saying about Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Like this was a team that I thought was going to be closer to the conversation with the Bills and the Chiefs heading into this year. But when you look at what their body of work so far, they're a three and three football team. Five of their six games have come against quarterbacks that were either backup quarterbacks to start the season or quarterbacks that have been benched. Mitch Trubisky, Cooper Rush, Joe Flacco, Andy Dalton. There's one more on here. One second, folks. Uh, Joe Flacco, Mitch Trubisky. Oh, um, Teddy Bridgewater. Tua started the game. Teddy Bridgewater came in after Tua got hurt. And they're still three and three, and they haven't been overly impressive in this game. Now, they don't have a really painful schedule. I'm looking right now. Um, they obviously played the Falcons this week, but then they're going to play the Browns without Deshaun Watson. They're going to play the Panthers. They're going to play the Steelers again. So there's certainly some, as we like to say, some meat on the bone for them to grow and figure their stuff out. And I'm with you that if they figure it out, they're as scary as it gets in this conference. But there's just something missing from this team. It's like they've almost forgotten how to play offense, how to attack a defense that's playing a too high shell, which is what the Bills love to do. Stokes, where are you at with the Bengals? Um, so they would be number four for me as far as AFC teams um, that I would be most afraid of. Um, I think that having 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 the be, been battle tested last year allows them um, to have that sort of swagger going into a playoff game. Like, like if they come into Buffalo, they're not going to be oh my goodness, we're in Buffalo because they just went to Arrowhead last year and they went and and they they played they played against a an all time great level quarterback and they went out and won the game. So I feel like even if they if, if, if that was the situation in the playoffs, they would still be in a pretty good position. Um, so do you want me to give my number three team? Yeah, go for it. Who who do you have ahead All of the right. Bengals? So my number three team is the Miami Dolphins. I Ooh. feel as if um, they have a couple of uh, game-breaking wide receivers, as we are well aware of. And I think part of being able to slay a giant is having slayed that giant. And they have beaten the Bills this year. So if they went into a situation where they had to play us a third time, not only would they have that win, I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, sun aided, of course, but um, 
they would have that win under their belt and also the familiarity of playing the same team for the third time. So you're not going to trick them with really anything you see. And I think in that position, when you have um, familiar, familiar with your opponent and the type of players that can absolutely break a game, that that's what makes it a little bit scary. I am with you, Stokes. I don't really have a lot of interest in seeing the Dolphins come here in the playoffs. And I don't think that Tua would somehow outshine Josh Allen. But you mentioned the two game breakers, Tyreek Hill and Waddle. They don't fear the Bills. In fact, in a lot of ways, similar to how the Bills have built their team to beat the Chiefs, it feels like the Dolphins have tried to build their team to beat the Bills. And, you know, I it's not a game that I would pick the Bills to lose or necessarily be like overly nervous about, but it's a game where I could create paths to seeing the Bills potentially lose. Now, I want to say something to our audience real quick, just for clarity. We are recording this a little earlier than usual because it's the bye week. So as of this conversation, we actually have not had access to the results of week seven in the NFL yet. We're recording just a little bit earlier than Sunday. So we don't know what happened. So if you know we're sitting here talking about the Ravens and all of a sudden Lamar Jackson's on season ending IR, that's why this conversation might sound a little goofy. Um, just with the bye week with schedules, with, with Luca heading out of town, it made sense for us to record before the game. So want to get that caveat out of the way. One more team I want to throw by you guys, though. You made a great point, Luca, on the Bengals. Stokes, I think your fantastic point on the, the Dolphins. One team I'd really like to see just get buried is the Browns. And there's a lot of things that would have to go right for the Browns to be a scary team. But there are things that you can see happening with them that would make me not really want to deal with them in January if everything goes right. Okay, the Deshaun Watson conversation, it's always uncomfortable because the things he's accused of, they're gross. And you have to just, you have to find a way within yourself to just put that stuff aside and have a football conversation for the sake of this show. And from a football standpoint, the last time we saw Deshaun Watson against the Buffalo Bills, he was the best player on the football field and single-handedly carried a much inferior team to victory against the Bills in the playoffs. The Browns team we have talked about is a loaded roster. They have found ways to lose weird games with Jacoby Brissett, but coming into Buffalo with Amari Cooper, with David Njoku finally playing up to his potential, with Nick Chubb, who I think is in that conversation for best running back in football. I think Saquon Barkley's right up there. Jonathan Taylor's right up there. Dalvin Cook is right up there. But Nick Chubb, certainly in that conversation. We know their offensive line is good. We know they can cover well on the back end. And Miles Garrett is one of the best pass rushers in the sport. I don't live in a Browns fear bunker. But to me, they're a team that I root against every week because I want to see them get buried on the off chance that when Watson comes back after having a year and a half off, he is ready to hit the ground running and catapult this team to the playoffs. Luca, I know you had some respect for the Browns, what their roster looked like in the offseason before we knew how many games Deshaun Watson would miss, before we knew the details of obviously what all he had done. Where do you stand on the Browns and where would you rank them on this fear list? If the Browns are able to rattle off wins up until the point that Deshaun Watson comes back where they're not kind of more than two games out of it, yeah, they they would be concerning because the motivation would still be there to, you know, hey, we're in this picture. We're still in this as a team. Um, yeah, that would be scary. I also will just add what we've seen from Jacoby Brissett. It's not been horrible, but you can't be losing – you can't really get dominated by the Bailey Zappi 
New England Patriots and for me to take you overly seriously and expect you to be even 500 by the time Deshaun Watson comes back. I don't see that reality happening. I am with you. I would love to see them get buried enough that by the time Watson comes back, it's a long shot at best that the Browns rattle off a run that sees them squeak into the postseason and then have to, you know, they could, they could make some noise. Absolutely. The, on the, the Browns for now, what has it been two years? Cause they made the playoffs in 2020. They've kind of been these paper Titans where you look at them and you look at their roster and you're like, damn man, the potential for a roster put together such as this is so high. And yet they don't ever, other than 2020, where they finally were able to get a playoff win in Pittsburgh and really had a good game against Kansas City in the divisional round. Um, other than that, 2021, major disappointment, I feel like. Obviously, Baker was hurt. Other things were happening, and I just don't think they were steady in the locker room. I think there was off-the-field stuff there, too. But it was a disappointing year for them. And until they kind of prove that they've gotten over that, Deshaun Watson isn't the kind of guy that I expect to bring locker room stability when he comes in, if they're a 500 team. And I don't think they really have that right now either, both skill wise with Jacoby Brissett. And then just, I don't think it's all there. They're just paper Titans. I don't see them really ultimately being in the conversation this season. Maybe they kind of look at it where they, they chalked it up. If these, you know, wins aren't coming and then the season ends and it just, or Deshaun Watson even comes back and it's just not happening. They're going to probably look at next season as being the year to go at it because ultimately it's, I believe without looking into the details, going to be exactly the same team with the Deshaun Watson starting week one. So they might just kind of chalk it off and be like 2023 is going to be our year. That's where I want them to be this season because yes, if they somehow make it to the dance, they could be a team with potentially the ability to make the noise. That sentence made no sense. They have the ability to make noise, people. That's what I'm getting at here. They could do something. I'm with you on that, Josh. But ultimately, I don't think I view them as highly as you anymore because they're showing me right now that that paper Titan label and potential but not not really putting it there is a thing. It's still a thing. And just like the Chargers to me, there's – Chargers are going to Charger, and the Browns are going to Brown. They're going to figure out a way to mess it up, even though it seems like they should be able to make some noise and make things happen. So we talked about the Chargers, and really, before the season started, one thing we thought was the AFC was going to be a landmine of tough tough teams, and no matter where you fit in this playoff mix, whether it was one or playing against seed seven, you were going to play a very high-level quarterback. And one of the reasons for that was the Denver Broncos trading for Russell Wilson. And it was like, well, if you get the one seed and the Broncos are the seven seed, like congratulations, you get to play the Broncos defense and Russell Wilson in the second round if they make it there. That really hasn't come to pass, but I will say this, Stokes. When you look at at points against, there are four teams in the league that have played six games but still have under 100 points against. The Bills lead the way far and away, 81 points against. Other than that, you also have the Cowboys sitting there at 98. You have the, the Niners sitting there at 89. The fourth team that has played six games that is under 100 points against is the Denver Broncos. Now, when you look at what they've done offensively, it has been atrocious. It's almost hard to recognize Russell Wilson knowing he was once a great quarterback, and now that offense looks like they have no idea how to operate at even an efficient level 
Are they a team for you, Stokes, that you still kind of think, man, if they get this figured out, they could be a team you don't want to mess with? Or at this point, when you factor in also the Javante Williams injury, is this a team that's just too far gone? Um, I'm I'm more of the latter thought. I feel like the offense is just so disjointed. You would think that Russ just got there right before week one and that he, he hasn't spent the entire offseason there or that he hasn't had any sort of weapons. He's, he's still got um, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. And so he's, he's got his best wide receivers out there and he's, he, he just doesn't look good and that that's the most concerning part about all of this i mean the defense um has played well but i think that when, when it comes to playoff time i mean maybe russ i mean russ can be special so so there's always that possibility of course but i i just don't think that they are worth um mentioning where we should be concerned i mean if they make the playoffs they'll be a lower seed so it's possible that the first Bills game if we get the one C could be against a team like the Broncos. So I mean, maybe maybe that's the like uh, among the most likely outcomes as far as the first uh the divisional round game, but I I would go into that game feeling very confident and comfortable. All right. Well, one last thought I want to leave you guys with. I know we didn't go through and necessarily rank the entire conference, but one thing we talked about the AFC West being disappointing. Actually, the Bills division, the AFC East has been surprisingly better than a lot of people thought. When we did our rivals watch series this offseason, Luca and I both noticed like, hey, this Jets roster, it's not bad if Zach Wilson can be decent. And he hasn't really been decent, but he's he's done enough. And their defense has won won the game for them. And then Brees Hall has been just an absolute star at the NFL level. Both, you know, none of us on this show are surprised by that, but happy to see that for him. Um, the Patriots have found some real momentum here recently with Bailey Zappi at quarterback. That'll be interesting to see what happens when Mac Jones is healthy. And then the Dolphins for the first three weeks of the season looked like they could punch with any team in the league, including a win over the Bills. And then their season kind of started spinning out of control when Tua got hurt. Tua is back this week. Again, we don't know what happened against the Steelers in week seven. We'll have to see what happens after this recording. Uh, but I think, Luca, that if there was a thought in your head coming into the year that one of the biggest advantages the Bills would have over the Chiefs is the Chiefs would have to fight every time they take the field against a division rival, and the Bills would probably coast to five or six division wins. It's almost reversed at this point where it doesn't look like any of these teams in the AFCs can necessarily be taken lightly. Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. I knew it. I love it. Uh, look, it's been very impressive what the AFC East has done. This is probably where I draw the line and do not agree with you. I am happy to see the Jets have some success early on. I am kind of happy to see the Patriots have a little bit of success here, only because I've been loving watching the Bailey Zappi hype train. I want to see that situation just expand, and I want Bailey Zappi to be the guy. One, I want to be able to say Bailey Zappi as much as I possibly can, and two, he's just a hell of a lot more fun to watch than Mac Jones. Let's be honest here. But I don't look at any of them as being a massive issue for the Bills. They all have their holes. They all have their problems. They might be able to put up a fight in the first half of each game. You know, the Bills don't necessarily like coming out hot. It's kind of been one of their Achilles heels. And if the Jets are kind of feeling themselves a little bit in that week eight game, I believe it is, 
uh, or sorry, no week nine game. Sorry. I'm forgetting by weeks, week seven, my bad. Um, that week nine game when we got to go to their place and maybe they come out and they get an early score and we're not looking, you know, with like we have our a game coming off that Sunday night game against the Packers. Maybe they feel themselves. The bills are eventually, I very confident going to win those games. Like, look, I, I, I'm with you. We looked at the Jets. We thought they were a very good roster, and they have a lot of bright spots there that look good for their future. It's for the future. Zach Wilson, I love Zach Wilson. You know how much I enjoy Zach Wilson, and I want him to be good. I still don't think it's all there. I don't. He's got turnovers in him. It's, it's so bad. Like you watch him and it's, it's kind of like early Jameis Winston where you're like, it could be a big play. It could be a really stupid interception. They're all possibilities. People that's Zach Wilson. And this is the kind of team and a defense that will capitalize the crap out of those moments. And then we have the offense to really bring it over the top and just be like, Hey, this is why we are the betting Super Bowl favorite. Why we are one of the deepest teams, if not the deepest team. And you are the New York jets with a lot of young promising guys that maybe down the line can compete with this organization. Uh, the dolphins, I think have found themselves where early on they were hot just real quick. I just think they might've lost their footing enough where once they have to come to Western New York in December, it's going to be a tough go. Miami does not fare well here. I, I'm trying to be polite with these words. Um, and then New England. I love me, Jack Jones. Shout out, forks up. Love you, ASU alum. I think you're doing great in the New England defense. Uh, I'm not threatened by it what, whatsoever. We have an offense that's built very well for man coverage that I'm not overly concerned of it. Like maybe he can make a play for or you know, make a play or two. Maybe Belichick can be this elite defensive mind that he's always been and just devise some stuff to give us a struggle here or there. But I'm pretty confident that Diggs, Allen, and this offense will eventually figure it out. And our defense is hella better against their offense than their defense against our offense. So ultimately, yes, I like the AFC East. And the Chargers are still going to give Kansas City a fight. We saw it week two, trying to just go into that real quick. I'm I'm with Stokes. I think I, I'll 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 say it bluntly. The Broncos stink, man. Russ Russ sucks. Hackett sucks. That team is just a disaster. I don't even see them being remotely close to the picture come playoffs. So yeah, the Chiefs probably have two easy ones there because the defense is good. But I, the Chiefs are the Chiefs, man. Andy Reid will figure that one out. Um, the wild card to me is the Raiders. Okay, this is probably going to be the last time I pump the tires of the Raiders, but. They are so much better than at this point in the recording. The you know the cat's out of the bag here. They're so much better than a one and four uh, record. They've had so many tight games and just I don't understand it, man. Like the Raiders are better than one and four. They just came off a bye themselves. They're gonna start figuring things out. They get the Texans this week. We I'm very curious to watch that scoreline. I know it's a one three and one versus a one and four. But the Raiders are better than that, and I feel like they're going to be able to do something with Kansas City that at least will give them struggles. I still think that the AFC West has more problems for the Chiefs also just because the Chiefs are closer to those teams than the Bills are to the rest of their division. We haven't seen those matchups yet, and maybe the Jets prove me wrong. But yeah, Josh, this is where I draw the line, man. Like, no, the the Bills are significantly better than the three other teams in this division, and that's... The Dolphins beat us. They're our only loss this year. And I still look at the Bills versus the Dolphins and go, we, the gap between the Bills and the Dolphins is significantly 
greater than the gap between the Bills and the Chiefs, right? It's significantly. And the Bills, in better conditions, as Stokes pointed out, a condition that was occurring for that Dolphins game, in better conditions, will would have been able to handle that game in a much better manner and probably gotten the job done. So there is no concern for me with the division. Until I see it, there is no concern. I, I have no concern with the division whatsoever. Okay, if a football god came down from the sky and said, Luca, the Bills are 0-1 in the AFC East because they lost a game to the Miami Dolphins, I will offer you right now the Bills finish 4-2 and in the AFC East. Will you sign for that? Your answer would be? No. They're going to be 5-1. and Don't care. Okay. Fair enough. That's, that's, I am so confident. This I'm not as confident as how much we were going to kill the Rams, but I'm pretty <laughs> damn close to that confidence level. Like I am not concerned whatsoever. All right, Stokes, where is your fear bunker with the rest of the AFC East? Not necessarily as an actual division race, but with these teams having the opportunity to maybe knock the bills off once or twice more as the season plays out. Um, I could see I could see one one lackluster performance against either the Patriots or the Jets. I, I think that they are going to um when when the Dolphins come come to Buffalo, they're gonna go out for blood. They're gonna try and put up 75 on their heads and make them go home with that. But I can see one of those random games where um the Jets like their defense is going crazy. Salah's got them pumped up and, and that can be one that they drop, sure. Um I feel like Having exercised the seam, the demons with uh, Belichick, I, I could see like McDermott trying again to make <laughs> Belichick feel it for every all the years past and trying to beat them really, really badly. Um, but I, I could see them dropping one of one of those to the Jets or the Patriots. But um, I, I four and two is is like the floor. And you can tell me they went five and one and they win those um, five games by. 85 or 85, 90 points. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, they did. You're right. I think I'm with you. I, I think when the dolphins come to town, the bills are going to be out for blood. Stokes, we appreciate you coming to town this week with us and hanging out on bills chat. We appreciate you're always willing to hop in anytime we put up the Stokes signal and I appreciate you tagging in this week. Absolutely. I love it guys. Keep up the fantastic work. Well, we broke down the pre-buy schedule. The post-buy schedule begins with a game against the Green Bay Packers in Week 8 on Sunday Night Football. And Luca and I will be back next week to break it all down on Bill's Chat. Until that time, we would encourage you to keep it locked in to the built-in Buffalo podcast network we already mentioned once that peter dibiase buffalo blitz is going to do a great breakdown of what he anticipates happening in that packers game a bills packers preview we encourage you to check that out as well as all the other shows on the built-in buffalo podcast network and luca and i will see you next monday with our bills packers recap we'll see you then